Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. When we approach someone and we haven't seen them in a while, we say, Assalamu alaikum. And they say back, Walaikum salam. Salam means peace. Salam is also a name of Allah, a name of God. So when we meet somebody, we say to them, God be with you and peace be with you. And they say, and God be with you and peace be with you. In those few words. Now, all of us, are actually striving to find this word, salam. But how do you find it? We certainly use it enough. We certainly talk about it enough. It's like everybody's talking about, nobody's finding it, peace. How do we go about finding peace? And what is this state that's called peace? Well, a few things. It's a state without anxiety. It's a state without fear. It's a state that is satisfied with the moment and the space and the place and the time that we're in. It's a moment when we don't need to go somewhere else. It's a moment when somehow, in all of the chaos in this world, we've found contentment. We've found the ability to be at rest. We've found the ability to be at peace, in the midst of the blaring of sirens of the world, (laughs) we found the ability to be at peace and to be not disturbed. Now, some people think that to find peace, you have to go to a mosque or to a church or to a synagogue. You have to go somewhere. The truth is, we all carry our own place of worship with us. And it's in our heart. Our heart is our place of worship. And if we realize that wherever we go, we have our heart with us, then we should simultaneously realize that we are always in a place of worship. So we're always in the place Now, we have to have the attitude. Now, we have to have the intention. Because Allah, in his mercy, has given us each that place. Has given us each that house of worship that travels with us. Allah created this whole world. And he put all kinds of riches 
in it and put in all of the necessities that man would need for his life in it. And then, after he created all of that, he then created us and put us in it. Think about that. Before God put us in this world, before Allah put us in this world, he created everything we would need in this world. That's the kind of father our Lord is. That's the kind of mercy each and every one of us have been shown by our Lord. And we have to realize that. We have to realize that God created this world for us, that God showed us this mercy of creating all our needs before he put us here. Now, one of the names for Allah is Shakur, which means gratitude. And one of the ways towards peace, one of the ways to get to peace is through gratitude. And what is gratitude? How do we show gratitude? How do we pray with gratitude? How do we express gratitude? Well, let's try. Ya Allah, without the air you provided for me, I could not breathe. I am grateful for the air that you provided for me. Ya Allah, without water, I could not live. You have provided water for me. I am grateful for the water you provided for me. Ya Allah, without food, I could not be sustained, but you have made provision for my sustenance. Thank you, God. I am grateful for what you have done for me. Ya Allah, you gave me this body and I can feel joy. Thank you for creating me in the way you created me so that I could feel joy. Now, gratitude is a door that opens the way to peace. Why? Because when you're grateful, you're not angry. When you're grateful, the petty circumstances of existence that cause us difficulty disappear and dissipate. They get lost in the enormity of the gratitude that we owe to our Lord for what he has done for us. This is a method for creating peace in your being. This is a method for reaching 
joyful, ecstatic states. Because as this gratitude grows, you understand more and more who created the situation for you to be grateful. And you understand more and more the nature of your Lord and the nature of his relationship with you. And that's what we need to do. We have to understand the nature of our Lord and the nature of our relationship with him. And as we understand the nature of our relationship with him, we begin to understand more and more who we are. Because God did not only provide all of the things that are in the world that, nece- that are necessities for our existence. He did more. He gave us of himself. So God is merciful and he allows us to feel mercy. God is compassionate and he allows us to feel compassion. God is love, and he allows us to feel love. So he's given us these elevated states that are divine. He's allowed us to touch divinity. He's allowed us to become like him. And this is the point of Sufism, to go beyond ritual performance into direct acknowledgement of and a relationship with our Lord. Now, how do we go about through the day finding situations where we can express this gratitude, where we can express um, our joy in being involved with our Lord. Well, interestingly enough, in Islam, the five times daily prayer has been established. And what is the point of this prayer? Well, let's talk about that for a little bit. In order to find this peace, in order to find this state that separates us from the illusory nature of the world, from the conflict that we are constantly seeing in the world, we have to remove ourselves into haq, reality. And how do we do that? Well, there was a play a long time ago, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Well, that's what we have to do. We have to stop the world within ourselves for a period of time. And we have to do this every day according to our capacity. Now, the prophet has told us that our capacity is five times a day, and that's how often we should do that. I don't know if your capacity is five times a day yet or not. There are some sects that do it three times a day and combine 
uh, some of the prayers because they feel five times is too much. But that's not the point. The point is that you have to set up parameters within your existence when you close off the world and then enter into a space where gratitude exists and where the world does not impact you anymore. Now, this is hard because the world has magnetic attractions and actually can pull you towards it, even if you don't want to. It's like being in a hurricane. (laughs) If you want to stand still, it's not going to be easy. And in this world, if you want to stand still, it's not going to be easy because we're being pushed and pulled and pushed and pulled. Not to mention that we're going around in a circle many thousands of miles an hour and we're able to somehow stand still because Allah made it so. So if Allah can make us stand still on this revolving globe that's traveling at incredible speeds, it's also possible that we can stand still and somehow counteract the magnetisms within the world. We can find shelter. If there's a tornado, you go in the basement. You dig a hole in the ground and you prepare yourself for tornadoes. We have to prepare ourselves for peace. We have to take the time to prepare ourselves for peace. We have to find a way that we can separate ourselves from the pulls, the magnetisms, the sparkles, the attractions in, in, in the world. There's a, a mosque I was in, in a city called Casamano in Turkey. Uh, it was a mosque from the year 1400. And it had a balcony. And in the back of the balcony, there were just, for what, all you could see if you walked up there, were doors. One door after another door after another door. There must have been 30 doors in a semicircle. And so, me being who I am, I went and opened one of the doors. And all there was was about a room six feet deep and about three feet wide. It was a place to escape from the world. And after the prayers, the dervishes would go to the second floor and go into their little cubicles and escape. Now, in times past, they called these places dargas. A darga was a place where the Sufis met. Well, in this modern-day world, we don't have dargas anymore. We don't have uh, Sufi gatherings en masse in most of the world. At that time, Sufism was sort of centered into a narrow portion of the world. Now it's spread out. So now we have to find a group. We have to find somebody to lead us. But we also have to create our own darga. Even if we have to be a darga of one, a community of one, 
We can be a community with our wife. We can be a community with our wife and children. We can be a community with our family. But we need to create this community. And what's the purpose of the community? Merely to escape. Everybody within the group has to resolve to escape into peace. And when escaping into peace, something happens to us. And we need to know what it is. What happens to us is we change states. We change states from fear to peace. We change states from anxiety into peace. We change states from resentment into peace. Everything slows down. We change from being chaotic to being peaceful. We change from being in turmoil to being peaceful. We change states. Now, you may have read about scientists taking the pulses and the brain waves and the other bodily uh, characteristics of people in meditative states. And what they've found is that they're different from the characteristics if they took these on people who aren't in a meditative state. Well, all that is is scientific proof of what we already know, that you change states. And what needs to be known by each of us is not that this can happen. It needs to be known that it does happen, and it has to happen to us. And that's the point. We're not here to talk about it. We're here to become it. We're here to be convinced that we can be peaceful. We're here to form the faith that's strong enough that says to us, no matter what the world throws at me, I can remain peaceful within it. No matter what we're given to handle, I can handle it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for my Lord guideth me. These aren't words. These are states of being described by words. And we need to enter into these states of being. And when that happens... We're not the same person anymore. We become somebody else. We have courage. We have strength. We have equanimity. And we don't bounce from one place to another. We become centered as beings. We become reliable as beings. We become focused as beings. We become one-pointed as beings. We become believers and lovers. 
We walk love around and we hand it out. Imagine. We walk love around and we hand it out. You too can be the candy man. Everybody loves the candy man. And what greater chocolate is there than Allah's chocolate? And you become one of the places where Allah's chocolate is produced. Imagine becoming a chocolate factory. If people need it, they come to you and they can get some. These states are reality. But only when you've touched these states will you believe them. Only when you've been in these states will you go back to them. Only when you've been around these states do you realize the enormity of the treasure that these states are and what it is that they do for you. Now, we we talk about that to go there, you have to give up what's out there. You have to separate yourself from the illusory nature of the world and find yourself in the mosque or worship or, or, or worshiping place of your heart. You have to all of a sudden be self-contained within your Lord without need from support from the world. Now, think about all the people who, unless they, rich people, important people, who, unless they have 30 yes-men around them, can't function. They need constant verbal assurance that they are doing what's right. And they only want verbal assurance. They don't want an argument as to what they're doing. They just want to be told, yes, yes, yes. And it's very easy for most of us, if we're looking for yeses, to find a group that will give us yeses. Now, that doesn't mean that this is going to do any good for your life, but it does mean that you're going to get a lot of yeses. And if what you're looking for is yeses, that's what you'll get. We can find, as a general rule, in this world, that if we're looking for something, we will find it. But we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we're looking for? What is it that we want? Why are we looking for it? And what's it going to do for us? Can we go back to that place? where salam is enough. A friend of mine was very wealthy. He was left $50 million by his father, and he never worked. And when he got down to his last $10 million, he committed suicide because he thought the money was going to run out. This is the state of the world. This is the kind of fear that exists in the world. 
People don't believe in the mercy of Allah. People don't believe in the support of Allah. People don't believe that Allah can do anything and people can't be satisfied. I'm going to tell a story that I've told here before, but most of you are new and it's an important story. A group of boys, five of them, uh, worked at a hazelnut farm for the day. And what they did was pick hazelnuts. And at the end of the day, the farmer gave them as their pay this very large bag of hazelnuts. And the boys said to each other, how should we split them up? And one of them suggested, well, let's go to see Hoja Nasruddin, and we'll have him split them up for us. Now, Hoja is a Turkish word for imam or sheikh, and Nasruddin is a well-known character in Eastern uh, terminology. So they went to the Hoja, and they said, Hoja, we worked all day, there's five of us, and the farmer gave us this bag of nuts. Could you split them up among us? And he asked them, he said, boys, do you want us to split them up, do you want me to split them up according to God's law or according to man's law? And they all together said, we want you to split them up according to God's law. So he said, sit down in a circle. And they sat down. And the hoja took the bag and emptied it in front of him. And then he took a stick and sliced the pile of hazelnuts in half and gave it all to boy number one. That left half the bag. He sliced it in half again and gave, I think that's a quarter. We have a mathematician here. He can correct me if I'm wrong. And he gave it to boy number two. And that left another quarter. He sliced that in half and gave an eighth to the third boy and an eighth to the fourth boy and it left the fifth boy with nothing. And he said, I've done this according to God's will. And the lesson for each of you is that you need to be satisfied. And you need to be satisfied with that which Allah has provided for you. Whether he's given you a full plate or an empty plate, you need to be satisfied. And this story is often told during Ramadan. Because during Ramadan, you're supposed to be satisfied with an empty plate. You're supposed to get that lesson. You're supposed to understand that sometimes nothing is all you get and it's all you need. And if you can accept that, you can change states. And Sufism is about changing states because we go inside why we do these things as opposed to just doing them. When we do the five times prayer, it is what they call a spaced repetition. In order to be able to accomplish something, to learn something, to go somewhere in this kind of way, you need to do it in a spaced 
repetition. So in other words, you have to establish a routine. And this routine has to become consistent. Now, I don't have the little books for the Islamic prayer here, for those of you who don't know them. But next time, I will bring them, and I will give you at least a lesson on how to do them. But when you begin this prayer, and you put your hands to your ears, and you say, Allahu Akbar, there should be a melting. Something should be happening. Now I am in front of my Lord. Now I have taken the time to separate myself from the world and create a place where worship can occur and where I can go into conversation with my Lord. What an incredible opportunity that is. And the prophet, when he came and created Salat, created this incredible opportunity for each and every person who chose to follow him. He said, do this during the day. And do it at specific times. Spaced repetition. Do it so that it becomes part of your nature. Do it so that you become accustomed to shifting states. Do it until you no longer have to shift states because that state of prayer is the state that stays with you no matter what you are doing. And imagine, if you can get to the point where it stays with you no matter what you are doing, then whatever gets thrown at you becomes a very, very tiny interruption to reality that doesn't throw you off your focus, throw you off your center, throw you off your stability. So we change states into what? Into stability, into peace, into gratitude. And as we walk, we walk with gratitude. We walk with stability. We walk with love. We walk with peace because we are those things. As we focus more and more on that kind of understanding and we give less attention to the world, we become different. But if our priority remains the world and our sincerity towards God is not real, we're not going to be real. We have to be sincere in what we do. We have to actually commit to a real intention to make that move. And who knows your intention better than you do? Who knows your sincerity 
better than you do. The ones who don't understand about intention and don't understand about sincerity say your beard has to be this long. Because they want to be able to see what you're doing because that's all they're capable of seeing. They're not capable of feeling. They're not capable of understanding. They're not capable of going inside. So they have made a religion of the outside. And they have become incredibly self-righteous about this religion of the outside because of their own insecurities. So if everybody does what they do, they must be right. And then they want to force everybody to do what they do in order to show how right they are. This is not Islam. This is a perversion of Islam. And Islam has been perverted in much of this world. The truth has been taken from what the Prophet brought, and it's been made into something else. Someone came to the Prophet one time when Medina was at war with Mecca, and he said to the Prophet, you must curse all the Arabs in Mecca. And the prophet said, I did not come to this world as a curse. I came to this world as a mercy. So if, if the prophet's name is not being used in a merciful manner, then the ones who are doing whatever they're doing they are committing a curse upon the prophet. It is our actions that show what we truly are. And it's not hard to see. If people are killing other people, there's not a lot of mercy there. If people are forcing people to do things in a certain way, there's not a lot of mercy there. There's no tolerance there. There's no looking inwardly. There's just an outward understanding and a belief system that forces things on an outward level. In the beginning of the Bible, there's a story about a group of people wanting to find their Lord. So they began to build a tower, and they built it up towards the heavens. And they kept building it and building it higher and higher and higher. And then God came down on them and changed all their languages so they could no longer speak to each other. And the building couldn't go any further because they couldn't talk to each other anymore. And that's why it's called the Tower of Babel. Babel means that you speak and there's nobody understands. So what does this story tells us, tell us? That... We can't, first, it tells us we can't build a tower to heaven. You can't externally build a stairway to God. It has to be done another way. But it tells us more. It tells us the unity of man is not in his language. The unity of man is not that they come from the same place. That unity is somewhere else. It's not in the color of our skin. It's not in our language. It's not in our religion. It's in our hearts. 
and it's in that small part in our heart where the soul has been placed. And that's where the unity of man is. Now, we can't see in there. So what we've done is we've taken what we can only see with the external eyes and we've said, unity occurs in what I can see. It's a lie. Unity occurs where we can't see. Wisdom occurs in the world that we can't see. Courage comes from a place that we can't see. But it comes in our stability. If we fear death, we can't have courage. If we fear possible circumstances, we can't have courage. If we fear the future, we're not courageous. And what is all of this fear? Well, this worry. It is placing ourselves in future circumstances, assuming that these future circumstances aren't going to turn out right, and feeling the pain of that failure now. Imagine that. Imagine that this is what our own minds do to us. They make us feel pain that doesn't exist. Why? Because if Satan can keep you involved in your pain enough, you're not going to have time to go to that place where peace exists because your pain is going to keep you from that place where peace exists exists. Your fears are going to keep you from that place where peace exists. Your anxieties are going to stop you from opening the door to that place where fear exists. Now, we have to understand it, and we have to know it. Allah has promised us mercy. He has told us that he is a merciful God, and he will be merciful towards us. What you have to do is believe it. And what is stopping you from believing it? He's here to protect you. Believe it. He gave you this whole world. Believe it. He sustains you. He nurtures you. Believe it. Don't create excuses for fear. Don't create excuses for not believing in Allah. Take it straight on. Take it head on. God, you told me this. This is the way it is, and I believe you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff They comfort me. Believe it. The psalmists have told us. The prophets have told us. The holy books have told us. Change the way you look at things and believe it. Everything has been taken care of for you. This life that we encounter in this time, which, by the way, we're all sharing together, is just a tiny speck in our entire existence. Believe it. There was a boy here 
about, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago, who had lived through a lot of the horrors in Bosnia. And he said to me, after the meeting, uh, I've been told that if you live through these kinds of things, there's no recovery, that you're doomed to relive this every day. And he was uproar. And I said to him, understand that these people who you saw pass, this was only a small part of their existence. And they are now into that larger part of their existence. Believe in what God has said about the nature of our existence and don't draw your own conclusions. You've been spared. You're here now. Do what you can to find your own peace. What's happened to them has happened to them. You have to do the appropriate grieving, but it's not your place to grieve forever. Allah has told you, do not grieve for an excessive period of time because it destroys your ability to move forward. This is another place that Satan comes in. He says, grieve, 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 grieve. And what happens? You can't participate in the joy that is your Lord because he's set you up in this place of grieving. We have to do away with our grief. We have to enter into the place of joy. All of the things that we haven't been given, we don't need. All of the mistakes that we've made are in the past. We're here now. Let's get involved in the reality that exists now. That reality exists all the time. It's open for you every moment. When you're ready, it's ready for you. You don't have to go anywhere special. Your place of worship is right here. You don't need to know a special language. Allah knows every language. You don't have to be a poet to talk to God. You just have to talk. You have to begin. God, thank you. God, what you've done for me is beyond imagination. The place where you've put me is beyond my ability to comprehend. My heart opens in gratitude. My eyes tear in joy for the mercy that you have shown me through my existence. You've given me this existence out of your mercy, and I am grateful. We have to begin to create that kind of attitude in our existence and then move forward with that. What happens is we're going to forget. Satan's biggest ploy is to get you into a conversation about doubt. 
it doesn't really mean this, it doesn't really mean that, how can you believe what you can't see? And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of other ploys that can bring upon this conversation. When that conversation starts, you have to say, "Aud bilahi min ashaytan irajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim," which means, "Allah, protect me from the accursed Satan." Remove him from me in your name, the name of mercy and compassion. And we have to begin to understand that. When doubt creeps in, we have to attack it. My sheikh of blessed memory would always say, doubt is out. And that's not a hard one to remember. Doubt is is out. Doubt is the beginning of all of our problems. (laughs) Doubt is the beginning of every wrong situation. Doubt is the beginning of every fear. Doubt is the beginning of every time we're afraid when we lose faith. It all starts with doubt about something. So, doubt is out. And we need to, to focus appropriately and keep that focus intact and if we forget and lose focus for eight days or two weeks or two years or five years he gave us a life long enough to refocus if we're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 if we're breathing we can refocus we can get to know him in an instant if he so desires. But we have to set the intention. We have to set our sincerity. We have to put our gratitude in place. And then, for those few steps that we take towards him, he will take a multitude of steps towards us. May it be so. May it be that we put ourselves on that straight path towards him, and he pulls us towards him. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu.